There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family on the Tom Bernard Podcast with Alex Brant Bernard Rasmussen, COVID Kate, Andy Brant Bernard. <laughs> Mike Bryant. We'll be right back. Ray Scott. No, not that Ray Scott. The local Ray Scott. But he was national, too, though, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the book, The NBA in Black and White, the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach Ray Scott, our special guest right after this with the family. Alive? Sure. Michael uh, Bryant. Brad John Bryant. Let's see. We've got, uh, oh, I, I watched uh, three people today just busy on their cell phones as they were driving along. Was it Tom Bernard? And they just have it. I do not talk <laughs> on my phone. I do not answer my phone. stare at my phone when I'm driving ever. Good. Well, you haven't. I mean, I'm not saying you, but these people had it in their hands right up in the in the yeah, air, just, know. you know, completely loose. And they're busy with that versus driving, which is safe. And better for everybody else. I just don't understand why people keep doing that. Well, first of all, they don't need to do it because most phones go through the dashboard now, don't the they? Mic. You think I have oh, the? Oh God, you're right. Oh, Andy, you're doing the. You're like, doing why is he so quiet? I was going to say, man, <laughs> why am I so quiet? Dave mic work. <laughs> no, I was just trying to get a <laughs> bunch of work done. Show at the there distance. we go. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So, uh, but no, they drive distracted, and it's scary, and it's dangerous for them and for everybody else. I think we should recall all cell phones because Catherine and I went to a movie yesterday. Not one, but two people got on their phones right in the middle of the movie. During the movie? Yeah. During Top Gun, huh? Yeah. Before. It's like, what are you doing? It was actually before, not in the middle. Well, what? My sources tell me otherwise. No, 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 no. She was on her phone right in the middle of the movie. Yeah, she did. But I asked her to shield it, and she did. Yeah. But where where did Alex get the idea that it was before the movie? I don't know. It just made it up. This is my commercial. commercial. <laughs> what are you doing? God, you ask them to move one chair and they go off the deep end. Right. Yeah, we moved one chair. I paid for this microphone. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Exactly. Um, so, Bradshaw and Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Well, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock. Clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. I'm rocking out, man. That's all I have to say. Our guest will join us in a couple of seconds. By the way, uh, guest is ready. Oh, Ray Scott's ready. 
Mr. Scott, how are you? Hello. Well, it says he's ready. Is he here? He's not on there. Unless we have the wrong number. We have someone on the phone. <laughs> Who could it be? It's actual Ray Scott. Yeah, it might be the other Ray. No, he, yeah. he passed. So That's it can't what I'm saying. Be it would be, you know. <laughs> that would be a little We're calling the other side. Yeah. Okay, so we don't. We have Ray Scott, but we don't have Ray Scott? Apparently. Huh. Everything looks good on my end. Oh, that's unfortunate. <coughs> uh, the pre-order is coming out on June 14th. That is tomorrow, of course, because today book. is Sage's birthday. Oh, that sure great. is. He's four years old four today. Four years old. Wow. Yep. Oh. <clears throat> that's all you need to all know. All the enthusiasm. There we go. Try now. Uh, Mr. You, Scott, how are you? I'm good. You, you, you got me. There, we, there you are. I don't know if that's a good thing to say. You, you got me. <laughs> you got, well, might. remember, I'm a kid from South Philly. You know, we get used to saying like that. <laughs> yes, I do understand that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, Ray Scott with us, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, you know, obviously, you know, because he was a national figure as well, but Ray Scott was from Minnesota. The, uh, the, the sports announcer was from Minnesota. That's correct. He indeed so. There you have it. Ray Scott, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called The NBA in Black and White, the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. You know, one thing I'm very upset about, and you should be too, Ray, is that there's Earl the Pearl Monroe who did the introduction of your book. So there's Earl the Pearl, there's Clyde the Glide. What do I get? Tom the Bomb? What? Ray, it's not fair. It's not fair. I should have a better slogan than that. If we have to go on with this interview, I'm going to be very careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Please do, Ray. Please do. A memoir of hard lessons learned in the racially segregated and sometimes outright racist NBA of the early 1960s, celebrated by NBA player and the first black coach of the year, Ray Scott. An introduction, as I said, introduced by Earl the Pearl Monroe. Yeah, it's a whole whole different deal, isn't it? You know, I, I want to mention something very quickly. Oop, do we lose him? Uh, I think you we lost the fake original right. call. Right oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, another line just dropped out. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't you. Um, you know what's interesting, Ray, is that you talk about uh, memoir, Hard Lessons Learned, and Racially Segregated, Sometimes Outright Racist NBA in the early 1960s. You know, and this ties in in a way, Ray, because people were trying in the 60s, and at least in the late 60s, I pointed out going back. I, what I do is I, I pretty much count on television to compare 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, 2000, all the way through today. Yeah. And yeah. people don't know that Dragnet, that Jack Webb hired many, many, many black actors to play doctors and lawyers and police chiefs and all this stuff, and he never got any credit for it at all, right? It was weird. Yeah. And I don't understand. Did yeah, you understand why that happened? That, no, yeah, I do. It, it, because when you have change, you know, change for us, I think, uh, coming out of my teenage years and to being 22 going into the NBA, change is hit and miss, uh, particularly in the 60s, mm-hmm. because there was no prescribed way to handle things. There were so many heroes in that era yeah. of, yep. of people moving race relations forward. I mean, I know that. It, it was in music. It was in clothing. It was in uh, television. It was in radio. People were really doing the best that they could do to move equality forward. But we had jumbled it up so badly prior to those years. And we jumbled it up so badly with assassinations of people that were doing the grunt work, the people, the, the Kennedys, uh, Dr. King, mm-hmm. Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, all these people murdered. So it was it was kind of a hit and miss. It wasn't like a smooth, transitional, receptive right. thing in America right. at that time. And so I'm observing this from the seat of a basketball player, uh, blessed as I was, because, and I say blessed because remember, Tom, I had the good fortune to look at America as a 22 year old kid with money in my pocket. Yeah. I yep. was not yep. the quintessential African American kid, poor in the neighborhood, couldn't get a break, 
got to deal drugs, got to steal. I wasn't that guy. And I don't want to represent myself as that guy because I was clearly blessed, clearly blessed. See, that's wonderful. That when I started speaking out in the 60s and, and participating and, 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 and walking with people and walking in uh, 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 protests and so forth, when that stuff happened, I was walking around with money. And I don't, it's maybe no more than three or 400 bucks compared to what <laughs> the guys walk around with yeah. in their pockets yeah. today. <laughs> Did but, you? but that was such a, a security thing and a security place, I believe, at that time at 22, 23, 24, 25, to speak from that, from that uh, perspective uh, was was really I was really blessed. Did you make much as a coach? Uh, I, I, oh yeah, I made much more as a coach than I did as a player. Oh, oh really? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We and I'll tell you why. We were coming into the era of television. Oh, so sure. the owners had a lot more disposable income. Mm, yeah. And our guy Oscar Robertson knew that and was putting pressure on them about those things. Okay. Remember, the owners went from promoters like Eddie Gottlieb and Ben Kerner, uh, uh, Ned Irish. Those guys were promoters, but the owners then became, well, not billionaires at that time, but millionaires. Sure. And I remember sitting with one, Jack Kent Cook, who owned the Washington Redskins right. and the Los Angeles Lakers. So the whole dialogue began to change uh but it was through the work of, of oscar robertson and and maneuvering our players association but money when i started it wasn't even a factor i signed a i signed it i went came to detroit i signed a two-year contract for twenty five thousand dollars and i got a of the twenty five thousand a thousand of it was a bonus okay. and imagine a 22 year old kid coming to detroit I I probably had what five bucks my mother gave me before I got on the plane. <laughs> yeah, I get out here and I'm going back home to Philadelphia with a thousand dollars in my pocket. Although in the so a- think of oh, good, mm-hmm. no, it, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. In the ABA, you were getting paid in like apples and and sandwiches, weren't you? No, no, you know that's you know the ABA took a bad hit on that, but that was early on. You know, they lasted 10 years, but the ABA, God bless them, that was the happiest two years of my life I had in basketball, in playing basketball. Because the guys were so united, it was like being on the schoolyard with the best players coming over. And and we all liked each other. We all hung out with each other, but we all beat each other's brains out. And it it was just a, a great time. But that two-year period that I was there in the, in the ABA, remember, I was with the great Charlie Scott coming out of North Carolina. Sure. That was our leading player my first year. My second year, I got to play with Julius Irving. And we all know where that story went. Yeah. So that was like, you know, man, the ABA was on its way. And I, I really think the, that Julius helped the ABA to soar sure. as well as Artis Gilmore as well as Dan Elsol, Louis Dampier, Daryl Carrier. The, the, uh, the ABA did a great job uh, in, in lasting the 10 years that they lasted, uh, given the resources that they had. Did you ever play against Connie? Did you spend much time playing against him? Connie? Oh, yeah. Connie was a best friend. I played I, My freshman year of basketball, when I left Philadelphia, was in Brooklyn oh, at City Tech. Sure. 300 Pearl Street. Well, Connie was a Brooklyn guy. He lived over in Kingston. And we used to go over and play on Sundays. And I was like, who's this 16-year-old kid? He's so doggone good. And and in those days, you know, they didn't pass you the ball if you were a 16-year-old kid. <laughs> so I, you know, I thought I was going pretty good, you know, <laughs> until I saw him for real in high school. Uh, but Connie, yes, I, I, knew, I knew Connie. We were good friends. I like to think that. And uh, uh, But Connie was the successor to Elgin Baylor, the Flyers. There were four Flyers in the NBA in the history of basketball. Elgin Baylor, Connie Hawkins, Michael Jordan, you got to get Mike in there, and uh, and Julius. And Dr. J. Yeah. Those four guys. Yeah, they played, 
they just they not only played the rim, they played exquisitely above the rim. Yeah. Was so, Connie the best know, they, of them? They was, no. Okay. Not in my opinion. Not in my opinion. And in fact, of that group, and I, and I and I and just for argument's sake, in that group there was no best of them because they were all so fantastic in their eras. Elgin Baylor, what are you going to take from Elgin? 36 points, 20 rebounds a game. Tommy, unbelievable. Michael, unbelievable. Julius, unbelievable. And they were all successful. So I, I, I don't like to compare them. I just like to talk about them and their exquisite talents. Which is a good, good way to go. By the way, I need to mention very quickly that uh, yet another professional athlete became a billionaire uh, they uh, said Tiger Woods just became a billionaire. I thought he already was, but they said he just became a billionaire. Uh, you've got LeBron James, you've got Michael uh, Jordan, and you've got Tiger Woods now. And three, the three uh-huh. men, of course, who became billionaires playing sports would all be African-American, which I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, Ray, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you some very direct questions, and, and I hope you, know, you sure. understand where I'm coming from. I, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a white guy in America today. And I grew okay. up. I grew up in a neighborhood that was Catholic, Black, and Jewish. That's where I grew up in North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Right. I never even mm-hmm. gotten an argument with a Black person, a Jew. The Catholics we would argue once in a while, but that, that's because we were Catholic. You know, that's how that was. <laughs> but now that was Ray. That was fifty fifty five years ago. Okay. Everybody got along. Do you think we'll ever understand that no matter what your skin color is, poor people are poor people and they need to be treated with respect? Don't you agree? Well, you know, my sociological background will kick in now because I worked 20 years in in social work. Okay. Um, You know, the the things, (laughs) excuse me, that I talk about in my book about that I think are going to help us uh, is exposure to each other what you're talking about you just talked about that exposure to each other living elbow to elbow Mm -hmm. we survive elbow to elbow we talk elbow to elbow i think when we get there uh and get through division the greatest thing that has occurred in our nation to set us asunder in my opinion was the civil war yeah, because the Civil War enlightened and heightened those divisions. Now we're we're not only doing it with argument; we're doing it with death. Right, and death is so pronounced, as you all of us know, and that that are speaking right now, we know that's a hard thing to get over. And we look at the Civil War. What is that? A hundred and something years ago, mm-hmm. we're still fighting our way out of it. We're still fighting our way out of it. And it's very hard for people to look at each other and see equality, which is what we should be seeing. I'm a Catholic school kid, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was Catholic, Catholic University. I was Catholic. My mother let me go to the University of Portland because they were affiliated with Notre Dame. You know, that's <laughs> not Catholic. She was. There you go. The lady did Novenas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Novenas. So I, 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 Tom, it's the same neighborhood that you came from. And, and, and I talk about that. We don't, you know, someone asked me the other day, they said, were you afraid of the Philadelphia police? And I had to stop and think, well, no, they no. were, they right. protected us. Yep. They protected us. I didn't, I didn't think of it. I wasn't raised that way. And so I didn't know anything about being anti-police until the 60s. And then I yep. recognized what <clears throat> the problems were. And now it's the 2020s. And we're still going through some of those same issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a profound sociological thing. But if we're looking for the cause, the cause, I think, was when we declared war against each other as a nation because of a division. And we've got to get over that. We've got to see each other as equals. If we begin yep. there, then we're talking elbow to elbow. And we're like the Catholics or a, a black guy and a white guy having a difference of opinion. We can have a difference of opinion, but your opinion is just as equal as my opinion. And I mean, we haven't yeah. gotten there yet. 
Ray, let you me know, give you an example. And that's, that's where the battle is. I'm sorry. No, I'll give you a quick example of why I, I just feel the way I do and exactly what you're talking about, that way back in the 19, late 50s and the 1960s when I was growing up, not one of my black friends would call me my name. They all called me Tommy because they all said, I ain't calling anybody Tom. <laughs> I thought that was – see, now, Ray, that, would, that made me feel good. It made them feel good. Everybody felt good about it. My yeah. name was Tommy. You know, yes, yes. I, I love that. Yes. I absolutely lo- love that memory, Ray. I really do. Well, well, when you talk about names, I'm going to give you something, uh, just a little treat for you. When I was a kid, my nickname, my nickname, because I ha- I had small eyes, and somebody described me in a book. They said, "Well, Ray Scott had a big head and small eyes." <laughs> they called me Chink. If you go to anything, any historical thing you go, reference area you go to, back in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s, yep. and some of the 70s, before, you'll see Ray Ching Scott. Ray Ching Scott. Wow, and I had that's to amazing. people hmm. to not use that nomenclature anymore. It's just not, you know, I don't feel comfortable, not because of what you're saying, I'm not comfortable with it because of my Asian friends. And I want to be considerate of them. I want to see them as equal and say, you know what, Uh, the same thing that the respect that I ask that you give me, I want to make sure that I give to you. And so that's, uh, you know, Tom or Tommy. (laughs) You (laughs) You call me whatever you want. That's right. (laughs) Yes. You know, but the reality of it is we have to get, reach inside of ourselves and see people as equals. That's just, that's just my firm belief. Do you think, Ray, we should start with all the poor people? They need it the most. I don't care if they're black people, they're brown people, they're white, whatever color they are. Poor people uh-huh. are poor people, and they need our help. Uh, I, I really wish, as far as, as people with very low incomes, people who don't, don't have any money, I wish we treat them all the same because they're people in yes. need. I think it's a great idea. Yes, but they use the systems yep. that support those people to bring them down. Correct. That's you exactly say, well, right. Are you, are, you getting, are you getting help? Well, if you're getting help, you're less of a person than me because I'm out on a job every day i'm able to earn an income what what's wrong with you you know and so you know it's the the old iron rand thing of there will always be poor people mm-hmm. well i don't I, I don't think that that's true because you're talking poor in terms of economics but we're poor in terms of spirit we hurt our spirit we hurt ourselves and so you know people say why do you have so much crime in your neighborhood and so, well you have because you have no hope, and we have to give each other hope and That's respect. Exactly. And, and I hate to say it, but it comes from the system. And we have to give each other love. God, we, so what exactly what I'm talking about, Ray? You're the first person that with what our Lord in heaven wants us to do. I love that. I really I'm sorry. do. No, I said I, lo- I love what you just said. I agree with you 100%. Now, I've been talking to people about I do also do a morning show in town. Matter of fact, I'd love to have you on the morning show as well. Okay. It's been on the air for 37 years. And I've been talking to people about oh, this. Man, you got- and they don't understand, right? When, when I try to tell them, poor people are poor people. Forget about skin color. Poor people, they all need yes. our help. Just would you help and let's That's move right. on from there. Right? That's right. I mean, I, I've, seen so, I've read so many good books. On that, I mean, there are people that have suggested that uh, that we see each other equally. One of one of the great writers of all time was Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. Another great one that I read was James Baldwin. Yeah, and and yep. my one of my great great guys was Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Ernest Hemingway had no problem seeing people with. He traveled the world. Yep, and he wrote about that world, and he and he never ever wrote from a supremacist position. He always wrote from a position of equality. Mm-hmm. That's what made me enjoy his book so much as a, as a kid growing up. And so when, when you look at our society and you see people, you're supposed to say, as we were taught in Catholic school, we're supposed to say, how can I help make their lives better? 
And you know what? What I found out, that can also happen with wealthy people. You know, wealthy mm-hmm. people a lot of times don't want to know because they, they're looking at themselves in terms of success. Right. But I say you should look at yourself in terms of a person. You know, and, and remember the old question that we grew up with in Catholic school, am I my brother's keeper? Right. That's you know, exactly we, it. we grew up with that. No. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you said Catholic, boy, we, I knew we were connected because we, <laughs> we all got those spots. Yeah, know? yep. No, he's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Right, I need yeah. to just very quick. It's not really changing the subject, but I got to bring something up because you, I'm very jealous of you, Ray Scott. I will tell you that because you are very, very good friends with two of my all-time heroes in life. You're good friends with Muhammad Ali and Aretha Franklin. That's not fair, Ray. I should have been their friends too. Oh, <laughs> I, I tell you, the only the only guy, <clears throat> the only guy that sits at that table and and he wrote the book too. Wrote a book too was Dave Bing. Oh, yeah. Bing, because yeah. Dave Bing yep. met the same, we were in De- where Detroit is. Yep. But I came to Detroit, and, and, and I'll tell you guys a quick, just a quick story about Detroit. I, was fly, I flew home for Christmas when I, at the University of Portland in Oregon. I flew home for Christmas, and the coach said, let me come home. I'm flying back, and I'm on the plane with Herb Adderley. Herb Adderley is probably the greatest, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He's an all-time Ooh. great cornerback for the uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, uh, uh, one of Lombardi's guys. Hmm. And Herb and I are on the plane together. And he's coming back to Michigan State. He's going to Michigan State. The plane lands at Willow Run Airport in Detroit. I'm sitting on the plane looking out the window at Herb Adderley. Now, this is the, because we were, this is in the 50s, before they had the walkways and all that stuff. You had to go down the steps and out into the weather. I'm watching Herb go down the steps into the snow that's up to his hips, and it's blowing his coat. And I look out the window as I'm headed back to Portland, Oregon, and I said, man, I would never come here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, close enough. And, and God laughed. He said, this guy doesn't know. I've got, got him slated to be a draft pick for the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> God, isn't that amazing? <laughs> He's never going to go to you know, but that—that's how that your life changes. You—you you think you're in control, but your life changes. You, when your life changes, you—the only thing we do is adapt. And that's what I was saying. That we, if we could just get the people that are rich with wealth to adapt, adapt to how we're trying to live as a nation. And and I think that they really can help us come together. I really do. I really do. Yeah, that, I, one thing that I, I am a little uncomfortable with, Ray, and this, this is just my personal opinion, I think a lot of the Hollywood people, the politicians, that type of people, are using our different skin colors to make themselves look good. And that does bother me, Ray. Mm. I will tell you that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's part of, of being politicized. But yep. again, I, and I wanted to t- just talk about Aretha and oh yes. and, and Muhammad Ali. They were, they were two of the greatest people I met coming through the system I, when I came to Detroit. I met Aretha in, uh, I met her actually in Indiana, in Indianapolis. And there was like one seat open uh, at, a, at a show that I went to to see it. There's one seat open. It was next, next to me. When they took their break, guess where she sat? Right Thanks next to you. me. Oh. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, you, you couldn't dream it up. <laughs> so she sits next to me, and we get into this small talk conversation, you know, about the, she's a Detroiter, I'm a Detroiter. She uh, was a great gospel singer. Oh, yeah. She loved gospel yep. music, and we had this incredible conversation, and that was great. I mean, I just, I just, I was enamored. And when I was traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Baltimore Bullets, I went to see Dave Bing took me to see uh, uh, Aretha Franklin. She was doing a hmm. show in town, and she said, I want to sing for my friend Ray Scott Aww. this song. You're going to hear from me. Nice. And I came back, and I was the coach of the year in Detroit, and I never forgot that. Hmm. that Aretha Franklin had said, you guys are going to hear from me in Detroit again. And oh. the champ, Muhammad Ali, Nobody like him ever. I met him no. in, uh, like, after he came back from the Olympics in 62. He was not the heavyweight champion of the world. I met him in Philadelphia. 
and we had, you know, good talk, basketball player, boxer, and he had his big bus, Muhammad Ali and all that stuff, uh, Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay. And so I, I remembered him, and I just, I, I, obviously I couldn't forget him. And I meet him again, and he said, Ray Scott, I said, you remember me? Ooh. All the people that you meet in your life? And he said, yeah, man, you talk, can, you, can you get this jump ball? And he would show me how high he could jump and all that. <laughs> and he was just an, just, oh, incredible guy. He's, he, I, I, I want you to get the book, to, re, to, to read those parts about Ali, because I shared a lot of time wow. with him. And I'm one, I'm one of the people that told him that he would have great difficulty with Joe Frazier. Okay. And, uh, and he did. He did. When I went to that mm-hmm. fight, in 1972, uh, 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 70, rather, it was, like, unbelievable. So w- which fight did you go to? That's what I told you. This I went to the first one. The, the first one. Square Garden. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it was, he, I, I, told, I had told the champ, the guy fights from a lower plane, mm. and he's, he's shifting all the time. And any time a guy shifts, Ali knows a hook is coming. That's the punch that. Right. That's the one they call you don't see. That's what's coming, and that was Joe Frazier. And it, Joe did. Ex- I, I had. I wish I had taped it when I was with Ali down at the Fifth Street Gym uh, in in Miami. Because I had told the Virginia Squires, my teammates, I told them I knew him, and they said, "Yeah, you don't know Ali. He <laughs> don't know you." <laughs> and, I, and I went to the gym. I said, "Come on, go with me to see him train." And we walk. I walk into the gym. And Ali sees me. Uh, Angelo Dundee says, "Isn't that that basketball player?" You know. <laughs> and Ali looks around and says, "And Muhammad Ali knocks out Ray Scott." Hmm. Well, guys, was I a big hero in front of my teammates or what? Oh, I said, "Oh, man, this guy knows Ali." And and I stayed uh, close to him uh, until he moved to Berrien Springs in uh, in Michigan, and I wanted to go see him. Spencer and Haywood and I were supposed to go see him. And we didn't, and I regret it to this day. Hmm. I regret it to this day that I didn't get to see him. Uh, but he was, oh, man, you, you know, I, I could just regale you all night with stories about that guy. I could, and, that, wow, and, yeah. and the type of human being that he really, really, really was. Well, see, and I owe him, Ray, because I, I got into doing voiceover, you know, doing commercial voiceover and all that stuff. And the first time, uh-huh. I, the first time I ever got hired to do a voiceover, I was, I was doing an impression of Muhammad Ali. That was my first job that I got hired to do was an impression of Muhammad Ali. Oh fun. man, that's so cool! It that was is fan- so cool. It was fantastic. Catholic school kids from, from Minnesota. Yep, that's exactly right. And oh I, my goodness, that I, is so cool. One of the greatest lines he ever had. Now I haven't done the voice in a long time, so it might not be that good anymore, but. But one of my favorite lines, he was on the uh, Dick, uh, Dick Cavett show just after he fought yeah. Ken Norton. And uh, Dick Cavett said to Muhammad Ali, he said, my goodness, I, uh, that, that punch that he just threw that we just showed our viewers here, that punch he threw, I don't know what would happen if I'd have been hit like that. And Ali said, if you'd have been hit like that, your beneficiaries will still be collecting. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest lines in history. <laughs> oh, you'd be dead. That's where you'd be. <laughs> Isn't that oh, wonderful? Still be <laughs> you know, I, I went to, I, I saw all three at Aspen in New York I went to. And, you know, I'd always told Ali, you haven't beat Ken Norton yet. Oh. Yeah, Ken Norton. You have not beat Ken Norton yet. Yeah, Norton. Uh. Norton was a handful. He just had the perfect style, but he was he was a handful for Ali, and I could never believe it because Ali pulled it off against George Foreman. Yep, yeah, you did. know that he was such a great fighter that he figured out how to uh, I don't know de-emphasize all that power because one thing we know Foreman was he's a powerful man. Oh God, yes, and and I just. Oh my, and and you know, uh, just because uh, I'm I'm doing a book on boxing now, and and um, I'll, I'll get get up to uh, talking about uh, Ken Norton and and uh, Ali, but you know I, that's something again in my book I share that I was really 
a boxing aficionado from the time I was about five years old because my dad, before he died, Friday night fights, the Gillette Cavalcade sure, of Sports, sure. that yep. was our night. That was our night. So, you know, yeah, boxing's another great love of mine, and that's why I had such a passion uh, for following uh, uh, great, great fighters. But to me, Muhammad was the greatest of them all. Me too. Do you watch basketball now? Absolutely. I'm, are you kidding? I'm waiting with bated breath today. <laughs> for tonight. Game number five tonight. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Do you? Yes. S- I mean, uh, go ahead. How do you think players? How do you think players of the past would play today? Players, if they were born today, they would play today. Yeah. Because they would still have that stature, that quickness, that speed. Yep. They would still have the talent. I think the difference is the games are, are totally different from the games we played. When you think about the old NBA, the traditional NBA was what? Throw the ball in the Wilk, throw the ball <laughs> in the Russell, throw the ball in the Thurman, throw the ball in the Kareem, and let the big guys take care of it. The big guys are the closest to the basket. That's the best shot we're going to get. Today, the game is just the opposite. So that they bring in more fans, they took the worst shot in basketball. And all of us, all three of us that have played basketball, if we ever took a 25-foot shot, we'd be on the bench so quick. The coach, you know, the coach would be yelling at us, but he'd be yelling in our ear because we'd be sitting next to him. And that's the way uh, the game has changed. Guys are taking, they've taken the worst shot in basketball and made it just a showcase. And so when you watch a guy like Steph Curry, who was probably the greatest shooter I've ever seen, and I was a Jerry West guy. Hmm. I was a Jerry West guy in terms of the greatest shooter I had ever seen. This kid, this, this Curry kid, is the best shooter I've ever seen anywhere, Hmm. anywhere in basketball. He's just amazing. He's amazing. But I think he's going to be a little tired tonight, though, but we'll see. Do you think that uh, he's the best shooter because of what you're just describing, that that there are guys that probably could have been great shooters that weren't allowed to shoot? Or do you think it's just he's just the greatest shooter? That's a a good question. That's a good question. Uh, Because when I think of guys like Brian Winters, who was a deep shooter, Travis Machine Gun, (laughs) Grant, uh, from Kentucky, it was a great shooter. I, you know that I don't, you know, because it depends on the systems. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're drafted, you know, you're drafted into a system, and so that's a that's a great question. I I think Curry benefits because the system that he's in with the Warriors was created for him. For him, yeah. Created for him, and then the other kid comes along, Clay Thompson, and he fits right into the system. So yeah, that's that's but that's a great question about the other players uh, that played that were great shooters and had they that the great shooters had had systems just built for them instead of those systems being built for Kareem or Wilt, you know, or Nate Thurman or Dave Cowens or Willis Reed, you know, I, I, that that's a great question. Last question I got for you, having played then versus now, would you like to have traveled the way they let them do it now? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. These guys live like 78. They all live like 78. You know, I mean, they're first class, not even first class. They are upset if they're on a commercial flight. How about that? I guess I meant the traveling in the game, you know, with the Euro step and the extra steps they get to take. Oh, that! Oh, that's! Oh, God! Don't bring me that that, that, that That's an that's an aberration. To me. You know, that's an aberration to an old timer like me. You have to make your move off your step. You don't get an extra step on your move. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, God, I I can't believe it. I can't believe it. the game has changed so much, but it's a made-for-television game. Yeah, it it's is. Me, you yep. know, yep. It, it's made for TV. It's a, you know, you you don't want to see back doors and and fifteen foot jump shots off the of screens and double screens. They don't, it's too convoluted. It's too crowded. 
So they opened that game up. I mean, enjoy. She loves basketball as it's played today. Why? Because 90% of the time or whatever percentage of the time, it's either a dunk, a spectacular dunk, or a long 25, 30-foot shot. Yeah. That keeps your attention. So, yes, the game has changed, but that game we played, no, it was – it was it was different, but if you walked, as the, as we call it then, and those are traveling, we call it. Hey, you're walking with the ball, man. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't. Well, I the the question I was wondering about the other day was if you brought a ref from the '70s to a game now, would he die from blowing the whistle or from running? <laughs> well. No, he just retired. I love it. This is crazy. Yeah. Ray, we're going to have to book you a lot more, man. I love talking to you. And, and I tell you something. Oh, thank you. Ray, you, you perfected a uh, tri- trifecta for me because I've, I've interviewed George Foreman several times. I got to sit down face-to-face with Dr. J a couple of times. And now you completed the trifecta of three of the nicest oh, people I've ever met. You guys, all three of you, are very nice people. Thank you. I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm walking in from good tracks, from good tracks. Well, I, I, that makes me very proud. Thank you. Uh, Ray, I'm going to have somebody reach out to you because I'd love to get you on. It's, it's KQRS Radio in Minneapolis. I want to get you on that show because I think it will be another great conversation. I am there, my friend. You call me and you just let me know when you want me and where you want me, and I'll be there. We'll get it done. Mr. Scott, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful, wonderful talking to you. The NBA in black and white, the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. The pre-order is uh, coming out tomorrow, June 14th. You can go just over to Amazon. Ray Scott, you're a gentleman and a scholar. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, my friends, and you guys be well. Great talking to you. Bye. Take a quick Take care. Bye-bye. Quick break. Be right back. Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dan's Southside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Hello, I'm Brad Huckle, President and Chief Lending Officer at North American Banking Company. And I'm Mike Bilski, CEO at North American Banking Company, Bradley's partner. As a locally owned and operated community bank, we work with a lot of multi-generational, family-owned businesses. Take Raymond Auto Body of St. Paul, for example. Four generations of the Slomkowski family having successfully run the business. When they were ready to expand, we helped them acquire a new building, allowing them to service more vehicles in their state-of-the-art shop. We've also helped them set up the next generation of owners, keeping the business and family for years to come. Tom here. If you want a family business like me or any business, you should be banking with Brad and Mike over at North American Banking Company. I know them and trust them with my banking. Every time I deal with them or their team, I know I'm working with experienced professional bankers. Sounds like we really won you over, Tommy. Well, let's not get crazy, Brad. Seriously. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience member, FDIC, and equal housing lender? You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Oh, Andy. So we only got what, like eight minutes left here, right? Uh, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, because he went all the way to the top. So I got to be honest with you, that interview, could you find a nicer guy than Ray Scott? 
No, it was very nice. It was incredibly incredible stories. I know his stories yeah. were amazing. Got a great attitude. He understands a lot of pretty magnificent things. I mean, it, Ray Scott was part of the early uh, wave of black NBA players like Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, you go down the list. But Ray, he he. I thought you asked him great questions. He gave you credit for that. I got to get him on the KQ morning. He was very interesting. Yeah. He really was. Well, I just his perspective and the people he's been around and his idea on yeah. you know what has changed and what's different and what's not different and even going back to you know his race answers about the Civil War. Yeah, you know. So and see that's the, and whoever wrote his bio. I don't know who wrote his bio, but it was a little harsh. Yeah, and very he's not, harsh. And he's not harsh at all. That's kind of what it might give people the wrong impression of him because he, he has his opinions and they're strong opinions. Oh, he's probably got a publicist that thinks that that'll yeah, if you get him Google more it, It's all over the place. So it's his, yeah, publicist wrote it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. I thought he was terrific, though. It was good that you were in because you're a huge NBA fan. Not huge, but I, I, I know a lot. Of, I've, I've read a lot about it, I've watched lots of games in my life. So, but I wasn't that. I did want to find out about that question because I do think if you brought an old ref today, you'd either die of blowing the whistle or run. <laughs> oh God, yes, those old refs—they're the, so much faster now, and they run so oh, yeah. up and down. But at the same time, I, I I think we're like a year away from Adrian Peterson starting at guard for somebody. You I know? wouldn't doubt Just it. Just give him the ball, let him run it down the court. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Well, I used to, like I said, I used to be a big Celtics fan, and and you know, back in the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, uh, you know, Robert Bird, uh, Robert Bird, not Robert Parrish, is yeah, right, Robert not Bird Robert the, Bird, because the Ku Klux Klan member, yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> big so, fan, Robert yeah. Parrish, I was yeah. talking about Robert there. Parrish, the big dope smoker. But then, uh, yeah, that's but he right. was huge dope smoker. Was he? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I tried, uh, I tried to, I. I tried to become a Timberwolves fan. I just never could. Wow, they—they're a challenge. They are a challenge. When you look at things that they've done and decisions they've made, and yeah, they're—they're a challenge. Well, you know, I—I—I was a little bit hesitant to talk to him about tonight's game because it's like, oh wait, uh, a guy, a white guy in Minnesota. Guess who he's cheering for? (laughs) Yeah, well, there is that. (laughs) I just grew up a Celtics fan. I didn't know what you know, so. Well, it was a great team to watch. Following the Celtics back in that era was, um, well, I suppose off and on throughout history, following Celtics is always a good idea. Well, my grandfather had been a big fan during the years when they had the run with Russell. And he talked about during that time period that they used to uh, they used to throw games because they were winning so much people would just get bored with oh, watching. Oh yeah! But my, one of my favorite memories of Celtics game was there was a game against Philadelphia Seventy uh, Sixers, and uh, they threw a, They ran a screen around Daryl Dawkins, and Larry Bird had his head friggin' demolished. I mean, they yeah. took his head off. Yeah. Dawkins turned that shoulder, got him in the chin, Ooh. knocked him off. My grandfather looks at it and told me, that will never happen to Larry Bird again. You watch. Oh, I bet. And yeah. it, it was yeah. like, you know, it was little things like that that stick in my memory about being taught by, you know, my grandfather. Because he knew a lot about sports, you know, and so... That was that, but that was like one of my favorite memories of all time of all the stuff, you yeah. know. So, by the way, know. I could tell by your laugh that you do remember that Dick Cavett show, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love when you tell that story. <laughs> if he hit you that hard, your beneficiaries would still be collecting. Yep. Yep. That's a great answer. So, <laughs> it is a great You answer. never interviewed Muhammad Ali, right? I never interviewed him. But you him, just said though. you interviewed Dr. J a couple of times? <laughs> yeah, he was in town. Matter of oh, fact, wow. he came so in did you KQ. Meet him face-to-face? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, 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 Nicest he, man on earth. How tall is he? He looks about six five, something like about that. About six five. That's about right. Okay. Andy, would you look up and see how tall Doctor J is, or Julius Irving? I mean, or Doctor J. He then. could fly that guy. Oh God! It yes. was it was interesting. That's why I was interested in, in Ray's answers, Mister Scott's answers about about um, the flyers. He didn't name any recent flyers. All the four no, flyers right. were. All, that's why I wondered if yeah. Jordan's yeah. like, relatively new. Well, yeah, I, I mean, wow. in my in my old man age. <laughs> <yes. laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, he was six seven. But six seven. So yeah. there you go. Six yeah. seven. How long? Short. How long has Jordan been out of <laughs> basketball? Um, uh, when did Michael Jordan retire? That's a good question. Yeah. I still can't believe somebody killed his father. That well, is, yeah. just amazes uh, me. Let's see or, here. Two thousand three. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Nineteen years. Really? Yeah. Oh God. 
Catherine, I feel like, I feel like your dad right now. Time <laughs> is not on your side. Yeah, no, he's the last basketball player I paid any attention to. So who was? Wow. Michael Jordan. Oh, was yeah. it really? I just haven't cared since. Well, the problem that you have now is the players are nowhere near as friendly as they They're used to be. They're awful people. They're awful people. Yeah. Mm. I don't know why. Not all of them, I but mean, most they, of them. Because they make too much money. They do. They have too much power, they too much too money. They make too much money, and everybody fawns all over them. Yeah, but yeah. Don't people say that LeBron James is a good guy? He's an he's, awful person. Well, he's it depends terrible. On, depends on which know. side you're on, the yeah. number of issues with him. Uh, I, he's very political. But LeBron can be one of the nicest guys in the world as far as playing with fans. And, and and getting attention for the league, you know, there's lots of things that he does good. He gives tons of money to you know poor kids to go to school. But well, that's good. The one the one thing I would throw out there from prior MBA was he had a lot of major drug addicts back in the day. Oh, I mean, yes. tons of them were oh, ruined yeah. by heroin or ruined by yeah. you know oh. by you know number of number of drugs at well, that I'm point. Sure they've got so chronic pain. A lot a of them and different world. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, did they always come up through college ranks, or were they back in the old days? Or was it always a, a college-fed sport? Or was yeah, it like pretty a, much. Okay. I think so. Yeah, there's very few people have gone right from high school to the NBA, okay. but there were happen. there are a bunch of them that ran through systems with the ABA, right, and right. you know that that would come from you know I mean they they really were paid like a cracker and a piece of toast in the ABA for you know <laughs> they for years. Were, that's true. But it's funny he said those were his happiest days. I know he that loved he loved that, that. and loved it's it. also interesting to hear him say you know I had money in my pocket. He had three hundred dollars, but it was like compared yeah. to having a dollar in his pocket, it's yeah. true. It was a lot. So, um, but. Uh, it, it, it is different today, but it's it's uh, it's an interesting game. They they uh, there's some incredible athletes right now. Oh God, there's no yeah. doubt about it. And when, and when you get guys like uh, Manute Bowl who could stand flat-footed and dunk a basketball, I mean, Jesus. He, he used to come into the sandwich shop I was in in Rhode oh, Island. Oh really? He played for the Rhode Island Gulls. Oh God! And he was huge. Seven and. What was he seven he was, four or something like that? No, well, yeah, I think it was. I, th- I think it was seven four or seven two. Jeez. Yeah, somewhere in there. And he, Jesus, he, he would go he around in this issues. little duster. <laughs> Probably had heart issues. It, if in I this little duster that they had to take out the front seat, and he would sit in the back seat. So he would sit in the back seat <laughs> and drive you know, there. Yeah. But he'd come in and tell us about killing a lion. I killed a lion. <laughs> but he could literally stand flat-footed and reach up and dunk a basketball. Yeah. Oh, that's tall. Well, his kidneys failed at 47. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Did that's he die? A long time ago. Yeah. I didn't know Bull died yeah. that 12 years ago. ago. Really? Yeah. That's not I mean, long ago. Jordan was almost yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hardly anything. <laughs> when you're seven foot something, yeah, you don't you live long. No, you Your organs just can't handle all that mass. Yeah. Well, we better take a break. That was one hell of a first thing. So one thing that's great about that is Andy and I sat down and read the bio and went, oh, my God, this could be really rough. Mm-hmm. But it was because of the way the bio was written. Ray Scott could not have been a better guest. He was phenomenal. He was really good. Wonderful. Terrific guest. Thank you again to Ray Scott. i got to reach out and get him on the morning show. He'd be great, great on oh, yeah. the morning show. Oh. No doubt about it. We'll take a break. Right back with that second hour.